Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, this is the fourth part of our sexual betrayal series. And in all of these interviews, we have on the back end brought our, one of our resident counselors, Julie Dodson, on to give us her commentary on all of this. From more of a professional standpoint, we're going to do that again on the yes. back end of this interview. I'm so glad that she has been willing to come back and speak into this because because um, isn't she your counselor, David? Yeah, she is you my counselor, that? mine and Christy's counselor. She's done tremendous work mm-hmm. with us as we are, as we've walked through the complications of from both of our trauma, blending a family, getting married, trying to navigate. You know, it's funny. She told us that <laughs> that most uh, the, the the season where you are most the most marital dissatisfaction takes place is the season where you are, you have toddlers and preschoolers in the house because you feel the most disconnected from your spouse. Cause you're just running around, running around. And we were like, when she told us that we were like, we got married when both of our kids were <laughs> toddlers slash preschoolers. <laughs> like, oh, awesome. dear. so, so it was really reassuring to us. That it was like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, we're in a lot of ways trying to survive, but learn how to not just survive, but also thrive. And yes. I believe even out of all of these stories that we are hearing, I think that's one of the common threads that's happening, that these couples who have experienced such tremendous heartbreak and, and, and betrayal, they are also learning how to not just mm-hmm. let this marriage survive, right? Not just kind of grit through it and deal with it, but, but, but how can it thrive? Right. And what's been interesting to me is that in some of these situations, and, and you, you know, you as a listener, you may have your own opinion about this, but when this happens, oftentimes um, the, the woman in the relationship can, can get shamed for staying. Yeah. In fact, we know this from uh, Carissa shared this, you know, and she shared it publicly on her platforms. If you go back and listen to Carissa and Cameron's interview that she's experienced some, some criticism for staying and working on her marriage with Cameron after, um, his betrayal. And, um, this is, I think it's so hard because it's, there's, when you have something like this, when this, the sin splatters, so you're going to get shamed. If you leave, you're going to get shamed. If you stay, I mean, it's just not a, there's no easy next step here. Yeah. Both. Yeah. And, And especially in regards to sexual betrayal, but really when you're talking about any kinds of situation where you're, you're, you're facing a decision of divorcing or staying in a marriage. There is no, uh, there's no easy answer. Yeah. There's no easy fix, you know, divorce causes pain and stepping into and leaning into the healing process with somebody also is painful. And so either way, either way, you're going to have to experience healing and either way, you're going to experience pain in the process of experience heal, experiencing healing. Yeah. And um, and so yeah. I just think, I mean, I think that for us to, for, for anybody to assert their opinion on somebody else's, you know, unwelcomed opinion on somebody else's situation, because you don't know the nuances. You don't know what's going on inside of this relationship. You don't know everything that is going on in each one of their hearts and each one of their heads. And to, to, um, to assert an unwelcomed opinion, I think is just really pointless and quite damaging as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, you have biblically, if there's sexual infidelity, you know, Jesus has said you can divorce your spouse. Um, but at the same time, you know, we see that God's design was never, never consisted of divorce. Like he right. does not like divorce, but not, and that it's not saying that you can't get divorced under, um, biblical grounds, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard and messy no matter what. And I think right. it's going to cost, it's going to make people have to trust God no matter what they do. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think people misinterpret when scripture says God hates divorce. I think what people hear, what they read is God hates someone who has been divorced. And that mm. is absolutely not true. No. Um, God hates divorce because if you ask anybody who has been through divorce, they hate divorce too. Because mm -hmm. regardless of whether it was the right decision for you to divorce or whether it was something that you, that you took into your own hands and it wasn't the right decision for you to divorce and now you're looking back on it with regrets later, whatever the situation may be, it has caused a lot of pain in your life. Yep. There's brokenness and there's pain and there's difficulty and there's grief and there's hardship that encompasses divorce. And in situations like this, with a sexual betrayal, there's already all kinds of brokenness. And so if I were advising somebody, I love what Carissa said in the episode with them, Carissa and Cameron Sprinkle a couple episodes ago. I love that she was, was advised by a mentor and, and counselor of hers to take the cues from Cameron on whether or not he was genuinely um, uh, going to work on rebuilding trust and leaning into and getting rid of the addiction and, um, and restoring this marriage. And to the extent that he was taking steps to do that yes, was the extent that she was going to lean into it as well. Well, I remember specifically, Chris said, um, how she knew that he was on the tra trajectory of health is, is he being open? Is he being willing? Is he being mm. humble? And is he being empathetic? I think that wow. is something that I will carry with me forever. I thought it was so good that she said that. Mel, I think one of the things that I have derived encouragement from these interviews in this series is that um, there's been a flourishing marriage that has come out of even some of the darkest of betrayals. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to, I just kind of want to make the point, underscore the fact that th when, when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to step into these situations, and, 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 and I want to maybe speak to the temptation to just kind of jump ship because you think it's going to be easier to, to separate or, or whatever the or case impossible. is. Yeah. Or impossible or it, it, it robs the Holy Spirit, the opportunity to do a miracle in your marriage. Mm. And I certainly don't want that to be, um, a statement of shame for anybody who has, uh, divorce. And I certainly want to make sure that you understand there are, there are, um, good and valid and right reasons to divorce. But just for the person who maybe is sitting teetering on the edge right now and they have lost hope in their marriage, um, maybe give the Holy Spirit some more room and maybe allow these uh, stories to encourage you and bring you hope as you're leaning in and you're looking for the reciprocity from your partner to lean in as well. And, and that's the pathway where there can be some true, uh, just abundant restoration and flourishing of a marriage that can come out of it. Yeah. So in all of these situations, you have to, you, there has to be a good counsel, uh, a wise counsel around you, and you have to lean into the counsel of the Holy Spirit as well. And you have to surround yourself with people who are, who are investing in your relationship, not who are just throwing spears from, you know, from, from afar and, and, 
you know, stay shaming you or whatever it is. You have to surround yourself with good counsel. Let that counsel walk through um, the divorce with you or walk through the staying in the healing process with you, uh, yeah. which is another reason why I love having Julie on the, the this podcast because Julie was that for Christy, for my wife, when she was walking through her divorce. She became a, a, a counseling voice to her as they recognized that divorce was the right next step. And, um, and she really helped kind of walk Christy through a lot of that. So, Wow. So glad. So glad you had Julie. Well, um, before we jump into this episode, we would be so grateful if you would go to iTunes and rate and review us. Follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Um, we would love for you to screenshot an episode and tag us in it. We want to know what's in your earbuds. And mm-hmm. um, I am just so excited for you guys to hear this beautiful story um, of, of Justin and Tricia. So here is our interview with them. Justin, Trish, great to have you guys on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us today. Good to be here. I can't believe we haven't connected since it's, we're both it's in the really same. an indictment on our relational abilities. I, you know what I think it is? I think it's pastors being way too busy. Is what it <laughs> exactly. Is. I don't have time to meet with you. I got my own people to meet with. That's exactly right. Oh my gosh. There's so many times. I can't tell you how many times, Justin, I've had somebody go, you got to connect with Justin Davis. You got to connect. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten your number and never reached out. I've had at least three people <laughs> tell me, hey, Davey Blackburn asked for your number today. And so I was, I literally sat by my <laughs> phone looking for a text, but I never got one. <laughs> well, I'm so glad we get an opportunity to do this. And I had to at least get, you know, an excuse to to bring you into the to my home and for, for you guys to have this conversation with me. And hopefully this won't be the last conversation, the last Absolutely. time we connect. Absolutely. But man, you guys have an incredible story. Before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family right now? What's the Davis family look like? so much going on, I'm sure. So just talk to us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, gosh, we could do a whole <laughs> it's a podcast hour. in itself. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Justin and I, we're getting ready to celebrate year 24. 24. It's crazy. Wow. Which, we got married when we were 12. That's not true. <laughs> I just wish I were. <laughs> it used to be like a really exciting thing. We've been married for 20 years, but now it's like, dang, we are old that we've yeah. been old enough to be married for 24 I'm that years. old guy Man. at the Y that I used to make fun of when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm not going to tell you how old I was when you guys got married. That's, we're going to leave that <laughs> I off. I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, were you born? Is this, that's uh, yes, a, I was yeah, definitely okay, born. That that was, was, uh, so we have uh, five kids, and we have five kids in five different seasons of life. Our mm. oldest just got married, going to celebrate a year of marriage. Wow. Just nuts. Wow. Uh, we have a... Should be a junior, but we are hoping he's going to be a senior in college. He's going to try and graduate in three years. So we're like, wow. yes. And we have a sophomore in high school, um, Isaiah. We call him our gentle giant. He's mm. six foot eight. eight. Yeah, it's Man. just nuts. And um, then our son, Jalen, is in... Uh, it's the end of the school year, so yeah. I do love my children, but I'm still getting used <laughs> like, to what... They're going into... Right. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> so he's going into sixth grade, and yeah. then uh, our youngest, Janiah, she is going into fourth grade. Wow. Wow. And you were sharing with me that, t- that two of these are adopted, right? Yeah, is we will right? celebrate Man. their two-year gotcha day, uh, June 22nd. Gotcha day. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, That's so awesome. we we didn't really have an anticipation of adopting, yeah. but you know, God continues to kind of redeem and restore our story in different ways these Man. days. And so, um, two years ago, we got an email from a lady in our church and asked if we'd be willing to pray about adopting these kids. And 
That's incredible. Yeah, fast forward and boom, there wow. they are. And and you guys are you know here in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. You're pastoring a church that we are. you started. Tell me yeah, a little bit about that. We started Hope City Church two and a half years ago. Um, we we just ha- we love Indianapolis. Yeah. We love the city. Um, I've really felt called here the majority of our married life and um, moved from Nashville, Tennessee. It'll be, I guess it'll be three years ago, four years ago, I guess. And then the church will turn three years old in September. Wow. And so, yeah, so it's been, it's been a, a phenomenal ride. Um, it's been really kind of when we, we started our first church, we'll talk about in a, in a little bit, but um, we were so young that I don't know that we enjoyed the ride as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this has been something that our kids have been able to participate in in a really unique way. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Trish and I have really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's been hard, but it's been... It's so funny when we adopted Jalen and Janiah, I mean, they knew we were going to be their forever mom and dad, but yeah. they did not know they were going to become PKs. <laughs> and they didn't How do you have, drop that on your yeah, kids? Yeah, uh, didn't by have the that way. church background, <laughs> but they they love the church, which has yeah. been really cool. But our daughter, Janiah, she... Um, he runs she, the nursery. She does. <laughs> Jalen and I are, are the oldest of five kids. And so she, you know, really had right. a, a huge role in participating in her younger siblings' lives. Man. So yeah, when she's at church, people just know when Janiah's in the room, she's probably gonna change a diaper, rock a baby <laughs> or two. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. you're start, you're starting them early on the volunteer exactly. yeah. roster exactly. right there. She's in planning center already. That's exactly <laughs> Hey, listen, that's real right there. That's right. You might as well. I mean, especially in kids' ministry when it's always a, a you're always lacking volunteers. Exactly. So that's so great. Well, I feel like we could talk about ministry all day long. <laughs> Brought you on to talk about something else. Uh, but there's another reason why the first go around for you guys was not necessarily an enjoyable experience. Take us back, share your story yeah. with us. Well, uh, Trish and I met in 1993. Uh, she was a freshman in college. I was a junior in college. And um, I loved me, and I wanted her to love me. Mm. And uh, she didn't really like me at first. And so, um, so yeah, so we went to this little Bible college in central Illinois and, and just um, became friends after a while. Mm. And she had a boyfriend back home, and uh, I convinced her to, the, to break up with him. And, and so we started dating the second, her second semester of college and, and really just fell in love with each other and then fell in love with the local church. I was a weekend youth pastor. I was getting paid $100 a week uh, <laughs> to lead a little student ministry of, in a town of like 400 people. And, and so she would come with me and uh, you know sit, have a background tape that she would put in the cassette tape and oh she gosh. would sing a background song or she'd sing a special <laughs> music and I would do the message. And oh. it was just this, it was just this love affair that we had with one another and with the local church and ministry. We just felt like, man, we're going to change the world. Right. You know, and then we got into ministry and realized there are churches out there that didn't want to change the color of the carpet, mm. you know? And so we, we, our first three to four years of ministry was really rough because we, we had a vision that exceeded the senior pastor's vision. Yeah. And, um, and so seven years into ministry, seven years into marriage, um, we just felt like God had laid on our hearts this desire to plant a church where people didn't go to church. And yeah. so um, in June of 2002... Uh, we moved to Noblesville, which is, you know, on the east side of, northeast side of Indianapolis. Mm. And we had $5,000 to our name. We just thought, okay, by the time we run out of this money, we should have a church going. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was our which, budget. That was our plan. If you're listening For, and thinking about planning a church, that yeah, is that. not wise counsel. Yes, that's exactly right. But also in 2002... I mean, planting a church for people who don't like church, who are far from God, that was kind of a novel concept. 
It really was. And there was, by the grace of God, um, we got aligned with two pastors here locally that had that heart Mm. and that really helped us. And so we we met a pastor in Fishers and he had a heart to help us. And so he invited us in, gave us meeting space. And then he introduced us to Dave Rodriguez, who's the pastor of Grace here in town. And Dave got behind us and gave us meeting space. And I spoke at Grace and he told people to leave and go with us. I'll never forget him saying, I said, Dave, I said, I can't believe you're helping us. I said, we're planting a church two miles from you. Yeah. And he said, you could plant across the street from me. He's like, it's not pastors that draw people to church. It's God. Wow. And it was just the first, that was the first kingdom minded experience that I had ever had from us, from a senior pastor like that. And Grace was, you know, they were growing and blowing at that time and they were doing building campaigns. And, you know, in my mind, you know, oh my gosh, what if 2,000 people leave? 2,000 people were not going to leave Grace <laughs> to go with us, right? But we did have, you know, 50 or 60 people that yeah. left Grace and, and came with us. And and so um, we we moved here to June 1st of 2002, and on June 9th, we had our very first service, and 12 people showed up. Wow. And, uh, you know... And we were a, crushing it. We were. Yes. This is before Instagram, so like, or social media. So, I mean, if you had 12 people... Come on. Somebody showed up. That's right. You know, you didn't have someone posting, hey, 500 baptisms happened this yeah, weekend. Exactly. Exactly. I wish I could go back and tell the people that our very first service, we had 12 people in our apartment complex clubhouse and the keyboard player for Carrie Underwood now led worship that night. So I'm like, do you guys know what a gift that was? But uh, wow. anyway, um, but you know, as a church planner, you know this, you're looking for any sign at all. Like, my that's God, right. maybe we're my, remotely in it. And I'm yeah, like, oh my gosh, it. 12 people, 12 disciples. This is biblical. Like, right? God's going to work this <laughs> out. Well, 12 became 20. And then that's when Craig Parker at Bridgeway came in and, and gave us meeting space at his church. And then um, you know, we grew out, grew that meeting space, and then Dave Rod gave us meeting space. And so then we launched public services in 2003. And we had over 200 people our first week. And wow. for, for that, you know, that time and that, and for, it exceeded That's our expectations. That's a huge deal, yeah, at that point. Yeah, and so from, from September of 2003 to Easter of 2005, we grew to about 700 people. Wow. And more than, more than the numbers, though, like people were finding Christ and people yeah. who hadn't been to church in years were coming back to church and uh, people were finding a home and community. They were being baptized. And it was like we were living in the book of Acts. Man. Um, at the same time... Um, my character did not develop as quickly as the growth of the church. And I focused way more on my performance as a pastor than my growth as a follower of Christ. And, and um, you know, Trish and I, what we did over the first 10 years of our marriage and really over the first three years of that church plan is we became really good ministry partners and really bad marriage partners. Wow. And um, it just really began to deteriorate our relationship. And yeah. we had, on the outside, it looked like we had everything, right? We had, you know, three boys, we had this growing church, but internally, uh, we were really, really struggling. Wow. Justin, can you, can you help to parse that out for me, the difference between great ministry partners, great marriage partners? What does that look like? I, I think that if you, if you asked us, did we have a good marriage at that time? I think we would both say, yeah, I mean... There, there, be, there came a crisis point where Trisha felt like something was really wrong, but rather than, rather than look at my wife as my partner in life, she was a means to an end of getting ministry done. And, wow. I, and I, I say that it wasn't, it wasn't conscious, I don't yeah. think, and it wasn't even malicious. It was just how we operated. She's very talented. She has a high capacity. Uh, in a lot of different areas. She can speak, she can rally people, she can sing, she can lead worship, she can uh, hang out with kids, she can uh, develop small group leaders. And so 
anytime something that I needed to get done that I didn't have a volunteer to do, I would just ask her to do. And I, I just really found my identity and I found my self-worth and how well the ministry was going and began to measure my effective, effectiveness um, as a person. And it, it, it came off as arrogance, but it was really insecurity. Mm. I was just really scared that people would know that I didn't have it as together as I pretend yeah, to have it. Figure it yeah, out. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're so, planting so yeah, this church so, and you recognize so three years it, yeah. in So three years in, you know, uh, we, we go on a cruise for our 10-year anniversary. We come back from the cruise and we just began to drift really quickly. Mm. And, um, you know, the cruise allowed us to change our behavior for a few days, but neither of us really had to change our heart. And over the next few months, that's where it really became a crisis point. And Trish, you know, reached out for help from from people in our in our church, some elders in our church, and they just they couldn't see it either. They they just they felt like she was exaggerating, kind of making a, a mountain out of a molehill. And all of this culminated on October 9th, two thousand five. I came home from church, and Trish was laying down for an afternoon nap, and I said, "Hey, we need to have a conversation." And she said, "Okay, about what?" And I said, "About us." Like, well, what about us? And I said, I'm done. And she's like, you're, you're done with what? And I said, I'm done with you. Like, I'm out. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I'm not in love with you. I'm having an affair. It's with your best friend, and I want to be with her. And, you know, even now 14 years later, um, I wish it was a confession of remorse, and I wish it was a confession of repentance. It was just a confession of resignation. Mm. And... uh Obviously, the intensity of our conversation went way up, and Trish left the house. And um, I remember it felt like 30 seconds later, one of the elders at our church called, and he was just screaming at me on the phone. He's like, this has to be some kind of sick joke. Please tell me this is a joke. And I had all of the elders come over to my house, and there were seven of them. Three of them had helped us start from day one, and we had just gone through a capital campaign. Our three-year-old church, our average age was about 28. We just raised a million dollars to buy the building that we were meeting in. And um, one of the guys on that team had given $250,000 to that. And I had cheated on all of them too. Mm. And they just sat there trying to talk me out of not the consequences of my choices, but my choice to leave my wife and my three kids. And I was just in a dark place. And I just couldn't hear it. And so um, Trish called and she didn't want me at the house anymore. And so I left and went and checked into a hotel. And as I arrived at the hotel, a lady from our church called and and she said, um, if you have any hope at all of restoring your marriage relationship, you're going to go to this counseling appointment that we made for you tomorrow. And I just thought, counseling? Psh, I'm a pastor. I don't go to counseling. I do counseling. Yeah. And um, by the grace of God, I went to this counseling session, and I sat down, and the counselor's like, um, and I told her about as much of the story as I just shared with you, and she said, well, what do you hope to get out of this counseling session? And I said, you know what, if I'm just being straight up honest with you and cutting out all the crap, here's what I want you to help me figure out. I want you to help me figure out how God's going to bless my life no matter who I choose. Mm. That's what I want. And she said something in that moment that became the linchpin for the restoration that God would do in our marriage. She said, I can help broken people. I can't help hard-hearted people. Wow. And I've been a pastor for 10 years. I've been a Christian since I was 10 years old. I had no idea what brokenness was, but God would began a, a breaking process in my life that led to the opportunity for us to restore our marriage. Mm. Trish, in that moment, you're, you're getting this confession from your husband. How are you feeling in that moment? Oh, oh, lots of feelings. I think obviously just shock, 
just complete shock and then kind of a, a spiral of emotions that, you know, trickle down yeah. from there of just disbelief. And when you are in ministry, oftentimes you don't do ministry in your hometown. So your church family becomes your family. Right. And at the time, our three boys were, I think, nine. Six and two. Six and two, yeah. And our nine-year-old had just invited uh, his entire class to Easter services, and they came. Like, I think all but two families came. So there was just like this family investment. Right. And so with that confession, I wasn't just losing my husband. I wasn't just losing my best friend. I was losing like my life, yeah. my, my identity. And it kind of, you know, I say all the time that I, I had hit rock bottom in a way mm. I had never understood that term before. But I think over the, the weeks and months to come, what Jesus showed me is that rock bottom is still solid surface to mm. stand. Wow. And I had to choose if I was going to stand in the, in the same posture that I had in the first 10 years of my marriage, or if I was going to figure out how to get wholeness and healing, regardless of what Justin chose, because he wasn't broken in the very beginning. Wow. And I think for me personally, even us as a couple, you know, Justin grew up in a, a rural country town and he grew up poor. I grew up in the inner city and with working blue collar family. And we were not poor, but we didn't have a lot, yeah. you know, and, and we didn't grow up in ministry homes. My parents didn't grow up in church. My dad's Hispanic. So, you know, in Hispanic culture, you just automatically into Catholicism. And right. so when my family found the Lord, like it was as radical for me as it was for them. And there was just this relationship I've always had with Jesus. Like mm. I truly believed what he said and wow. I truly believed in his word but I never thought I would be in ministry. And so when I met Justin, he was like, he was a dream I didn't even know to pray for, Yeah, you know, because in growing up in, in our culture, like it wasn't the hookup culture, but if you dated someone, you slept with them. It was just kind of like what mm -hmm. you did. And so everything about our marriage was just felt um, right. And so it just felt like if I kept doing the next right thing, and I kept loving Justin and following Jesus. I don't know where I got this theology, but in my mind, life would always just go up and to the right. Yeah. Like success was equated with godliness. Yeah. Wow. And so in everything around us was, you know, we were like the Chip and Joanna Gaines of mm. church planning back then. We felt like everything we touched was growing. Yeah. These three little boys who were fantastic and loved us and a church family. So it, that's why it felt so shocking on so many levels. And yeah. it wasn't till I lost everything that I realized that I wasn't attached to my relationship with Jesus. I was attached to the identity I had at the church. Wow. And I was, I was Justin's wife and I was the pastor's wife. And somehow I equated my worth in God with what I was doing for God. Mm. And so it was like a stripping, not only of my marriage, but literally of like, everything I had known as a person up until this point. Wow. And so we, um, you know, so all of this is kind of taking place. And the first night, Trisha begged me to come home. And then um, she called Focus on the Family and their crisis counseling, which was a phenomenal thing. And 
I'm pretty sure I'm famous there for like <laughs> Southside Trisha came out on that. For the well, phone you know, call. <laughs> yeah, because the, you know, the counselor's like, if you really love Justin, you'll let him go. And I was like, what? You know, like <laughs> earrings off, rolling up the sleeves. I'm like, I did. I think I said to him, maybe I used other colorful words, but I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard anyone mm. say. And kind of like that moment Justin had in the counselor's office, this was this was my linchpin moment. Mm. And he said, if you truly love Justin, you'll let him go. Yeah. He said, you will always be his scapegoat goat for all of his issues until you remove yourself from him. Mm. And so with that, I went upstairs and I packed his clothes and I tell people that was probably one of the lowest of the lows because it was for me in that moment, it felt worse than death. Yeah. Because he was alive, he just didn't want to be with me. Yeah, right, right. And so there's a family that helped us start the church. They lived about four miles from us, and she packed up all my stuff and moved me in with them. And um, he came and picked me up from the hotel I was staying at, and he handed me a slip of paper, and it said 250 on it. And I said, what's that? He's like, that's how much money you have. It's like Trisha's cleaned out everything else out of the bank account. And the church is going to take care of her financially, mm. um, but you're on your own. And you can either stay here or you can come stay at my place. And so I went, and this is about two days after the confessions. This is like on Tuesday. The, uh, the counseling appointment is on Monday. And I walk into his seven-year-old daughter's bedroom, and everything I owned is stacked up against the wall. And I fell with my face to the ground on, on her bed, and I just started crying. I just thought, what the hell have I done? Mm. You know, I've, I've wrecked my entire life. And I was instructed not to make contact with Trish. Um, and so I wanted to honor that. We didn't talk for the next 10 days. I started going back to counseling. And, went to, and so I was going to counseling every day except for Friday because they weren't open on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so 10 days into our separation, um, Started work, I started working at P.F. Chang's as a waiter. And uh, so I went from talking to 700 people a week to, would you like white or brown rice? Wow. And 10, or 10, 10 days into our separation, Trish called me on the phone. And she. I tell people all the time, if the prodigal son's dad would have had a cell phone, it would have been a call he would have made. Man. And she said, I hear you've been going to counseling. And I said, yes. She said, well, I'm willing to go with you. And so a few days later, we started going to counseling. We went to counseling four days a week. And um, we tell people all the time, if, if you feel like your marriage is in trouble... Our counselor wanted to see us four days a week. That's how jacked up we were. Right? There's hope <laughs> Some for you. Some intense counseling four yeah, days a week. Yeah, so, so we did that for, for two months. And so after 30 days, we'd gone to 16 counseling sessions. Wow. And that's like a year's worth of counseling. Yeah, it is. You yeah. know? And, and God was like moving in some powerful ways. We had circled a day on the calendar. We were separated for two and a half months, um, but we circled a day on the calendar that I was going to move back home. Trust was starting to be rebuilt. And so 30 days in, the counselor said... Um, you guys are a really critical state. He's like, um, Trish is starting to believe some of the things you're saying. Trust is starting to be rebuilt. I can see intimacy is developing. Um, so Justin, if you've left anything out, now's the time to share it. He said, unconfessed sin will always lead to repeated behavior. And so wow. if you don't want to be back here in three months or 13 months or 13 years, you better share everything now. And I knew in my heart that I wasn't sharing everything. And it wasn't because I didn't love Trish. It was, it was because I loved her. Yeah. I just thought if she knew that, it would be a deal breaker. Mm. And so I took a deep breath and I shared more details of the affair that I'd left mm. out. 
And Trish just got up and left, left me there, drove home, drove. And, and so she had been gone for probably five minutes and a lady from our church called and said, um, Trish is going to file for divorce on Monday because you're incapable of telling the truth. This is on a Thursday. Wow. And that was my lowest point. And so I got back to the house where I was staying and my counselor called and he asked me if I was okay mentally. Emo- are you going to do anything that's going to harm yourself? Because he could just tell it was... It was the bottom for Bad. me. Yeah. And my mom, so that was Thursday night. My mom comes in town the next day for grandparents day. And I meet my mom at the school and I beg her to go to the house and ask Trish to give um, me a second chance, another chance. And my mom's like, I'm not putting my name on your lies. No, not happening. Mm. And it was just, it was God providing those boundaries. And so I um, went to a pastor of Grace's house I told him what had happened that night. I got off work at P.F. Chang's late Friday night, went to his house, told him what had happened at the counseling session. And, um, and I said, um, I, I need to tell you something. I said, I've never told anybody this. I said, but I was sexually abused when I was a kid, and I've never told anyone about it. I said, I've been addicted to pornography for the last 10 years. I've never told anybody about it. And I've lost my marriage, but I need to regain my relationship with Christ. I need to be free from this f- for the first time ever. And he just like gets this smirk on his face. And I'm like, dude, like I'm pouring my freaking heart out to you. He's like, man, I'm so excited for what God's going to do. He's like, I'm going to pray this weekend that you're going to have an opportunity to share that with Trish. I said, (laughs) why, you want me to get killed? Like, you want me to get beat up? Like, you know, I said, she is in no place to hear that. He's like, well, that's what I'm praying for. Mm -hmm. And so um, just by God's grace, Trisha called me on Sunday morning, she's like, do you want to go to Grace together, Grace Church? And so we met at Grace, and the theme that morning was coming out of darkness. And they had a time at the end um, for you to come forward, and Grace had helped us start the church, right? So we're intimately connected to all the pastors there. And he's like, if you want to come forward for prayer, I'm getting emotional. I haven't yeah, told this, this part of the story in a long time. I'm like getting chill bumps. Right? Mm. Did you know uh, this, that they were preaching on this? No. <laughs> no. Holy cow. No. So we go, we walk forward at the end of the service and we basically just fell into Chris Shore's arms. And that's arms. something they've never, I, 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 in the history of Grace, I don't I remember them doing kind of like yeah. almost like an altar call right. moment. And they invited if you needed prayer to come down. And we literally... Like, just collapsed. We're like holding each other up, walking down the aisle because we were so... Oh my gosh. It was like this moment where our faith journey began to change because as church planners, you take on like, are the lights in the right position? Yeah, Do right. we have enough chairs? Like all, And those things are important to set the table, but like we could care less. I don't remember the music that was playing. I don't, I just remember literally falling into one of the pastor's arms mm. and him like, it was like that he just engulfed us. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and so that really paved the way for the conversation we had the next day. I came to the house and I was coming to pick up the kids to take them to school. And Trish invited me in and she said, okay, this is your last chance. I want to know everything. And I said, you know, as far as the affair goes, I've told you everything, but I have a lot more to share. And I told her about the sexual abuse and I told her about the pornography and in an act of grace and mercy and like anything I'd ever experienced, she said, now we can start over. Now we can begin again because I finally know the real you. Wow. 
And that wasn't the finish line. That was really the starting line of a yeah. two-year process for us of finding healing and freedom and and some some restoration for me personally that then began to restore marriage. And so we moved. Uh, we, we left Noblesville, moved across town to Zionsville and started our life all over. I became mm. a headhunter, placing commercial bankers in banks downtown Indianapolis. I did that for four years and just wow. kind of chilled. It yeah. was it was awesome. It was like <laughs> the best season of our life. We Every slept in on Sunday. Dream. We met it. We we made pancakes for the boys, and mm-hmm. um, but we we really just felt like we had get we had been given if I, if we never went back into ministry, we had been given a second chance at marriage and a second really a second chance at life, and we we were experiencing I was experiencing life for the first time being fully known, mm-hmm. and then knowing I was fully loved. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I want to interrupt this amazing interview for just a few seconds to let you know about our Pain to Purpose video series. You may have heard us talk about it before, but if not, this is a video series we created to help you step-by-step as you navigate a tragedy, trial, or transition in your life. In the videos, I discuss practical ways to work through your pain, no matter the category it falls under, and how to find both meaning and purpose through it. We believe this video series can have a profound impact on you or a loved one. This can be a great resource if you lead a small group for your church or if you're looking for personal direction for your own life, or if you have a friend in mind you think could use some help navigating a valley. If you fall into any of these categories and are interested in learning more or purchasing today, head to MyPainToPurposePlan.com. That's MyPainToPurposePlan.com. Now back to our conversation. Can you talk to me about this? You said it's about a two-year process of restoration. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you guys submitted yourself to restoration. You know, mm-hmm. I know Justin being in ministry, you and I both know of, and so many different pastors who have decided one way or the other not to submit themselves to it or not to, but that you did, and you got to that rock-bottom place where you're like, no, I'm going to submit myself to a process, even though... I've been one who have, has led people through processes. Yeah. You know, that whole attitude of like, I'm a pastor. I don't go to counseling, but right. I'm going to actually submit myself fully to a process. Can you talk to me about that process a little bit? Well, the I mean, healing we, had, we had no desire to go back into ministry. And... Or, to, or to church. I mean, literally, we yeah. moved and there was this church that looked like a like an industrial marshmallow. It was like this, <laughs> like it was just a box of a building. Right across from the subdivision. Right across from where we lived. And I'm like, that's convenient. I didn't know it's <laughs> theology. I don't even care. You know, and I just felt like I'll I'll kind of be a good mom and have our kids go into church. And Well, and initially, Davey, when we first started this journey, like, the, you know, God heals you in layers, not, right. not often at, all at once. And our disposition at first was the church did this to us. Absolutely. Oh, wow. You know, Absolutely. like the church yeah. ruined our marriage. And yeah. in fact, um, we, we, we wrote an article years ago for Outreach Magazine, and the title of it was My First Mistress Was the Church. Mm. And so um, there was this sentiment and this standoffish. We wanted our kids to have a church experience, but yeah. we did not ha- want to give in to mm. the manipulation of ministry anymore. Yeah. And um and so 
we went to this church for about two and a half years. And then we had been there for two and a half years. I was on the setup team uh, because <laughs> I always told people the setup team is as important as the speaker. And so I was trying to live that out. You got to live it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, our oldest son was just entering into middle school. So he started, you know, going to the youth group. So I volunteered and it was the first time that I had experienced ministry without having a title. Mm. And it was the most beautiful thing. Like those kids could care less what my past was. They could care less if I was on staff or not on staff. Wow. And it was like that moment I had as a little girl finding Jesus, I had it all over again. Mm. Like it was like, Ooh, Jesus really does love me as an adult. And I don't need to have any of that. So it was like this approach to my faith, I think approach to our faith as a couple individually and even as a family that yeah. was just, it was just good and it was pure and it was without without intent mm. for restoration of ministry. Right, yeah. the motivation was just to be whole, not to... As people. Not to prove yeah. something to somebody. Yeah. I have pastors that call me all the time that have failed morally and usually their first question is, well, how long do I have to stay out? Oh, wow. And I'm like, when you're not asking that question, then wow. let's talk again. Well, wow. I mean, Justin was like, he would not say this publicly, but he was really good at his new job. Yeah. And so he was winning these things called President Club trips, which I had never <laughs> heard of before. And I'll never forget sitting on a beach in Grand Cayman Islands, completely paid for. And I, like, we had our little teas in our hand. And by tea, she I, means margaritas. Yeah, right. I, they were, it was tea. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was tea. Long and Island? I was like, oh, I, yeah. I looked at him and I said, baby, cheers to never going back into ministry. Wow. And so there wasn't like this. There was a submission mm -hmm. to being at church. There wasn't a desire to be back in ministry until that was spoken into us. Yeah. yeah so well, the pastor of the church approached us mm -hmm. about two and a half years, maybe three years in. And he's like, hey, would you, I don't think God's done with you. Mm -hmm. uh, would you be willing to go through a restoration process? Mm -hmm. And so part of that process was revisiting all of the people that, not all the people, but as many people as possible that we wounded, that I wounded, and seeking restoration. Wow. There was books to read and there was, you know, sessions to go to and, and conversations to have. But the, the biggest part was um, getting released and uh, from the from the um, burden of bitterness that mm. other people might have from me. And you can't make people forgive you, but you can always seek it, right? And yeah. so, so we, we did. We went through that process and had a lot of really hard conversations, really cheerful conversations. And then... What really became a turning point for us was in December of uh, 2008, uh, I met Aaron Brockett for the first time, and he uh, had just taken the Trader's Point job uh, as their lead pastor, and we had a, a mutual friend that was on his staff that thought that we should meet. And so we had lunch at Ruby Tuesdays, and I'll never forget, I, never, I didn't eat one thing uh, because he's like, tell me your story, and I just started bawling. And I started crying and telling my story. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm in no man's land. I've got this really good paying job and it's going really successful and I'm really happy, but I feel God's calling us back into ministry. And and so we just kind of let left the lunch just kind of in limbo like that. And about two weeks later, he called me and he said, um, we're doing a series on grace to start 2009. Would you be willing to share your story? And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I mean, we've never shared it publicly. I said, I need to talk to my wife about it. And I came home and I was like, Trish, Aaron Brockett wants us to share our story at Trader's Point. And he was like, like nope. <laughs> no. And so he's like, well, would you guys pray about it? He's like, I'll interview you. You mm -hmm. don't have to. And I was uh, like, Aaron, 
I was in ministry for 10 years. I don't use the pastor card on me. I know what that means, but I do appreciate he was very gentle. And so, I mean, he, he let it go for quite a while before he asked again. And then we, I, you know, when he said that he would interview us, I just felt like the pressure to figure out an intro and a, a right. you know, like a talk. I didn't have a talk. I was still living it. Right. I didn't, there was no bow. So mm. if you were looking for a bow in our story, I don't have that yet. Mm. It's funny. He, he persisted after a little while too. It's almost like mm. he knew that part of your healing process was going to have to be sharing it. Yeah. And, and we we'd shared like, you know, mm. if people would hear our story, um, and they would, you know, ask to have coffee or they would come over for dinner or, um, you know, our old church would say, you know, oh, you're having an affair. You should talk to Justin. <laughs> you know, like oh, it was man. like it was that type of. It, there was, so there was a relational aspect of us sitting down over coffee with people. But yeah. as far as being on a stage, it just hadn't happened. And so we we shared our story at Traders Point, um, January the fourth of two thousand nine, and we were there till four o'clock in the afternoon talking to people. And it was just this epiphany, like, did they just hear the story that we just shared? Like, we are the poster children of how not to be married. Why are you asking our advice? Mm. And it was just this realization that it wasn't our redemption story. It was Jesus's redemption yeah, story. Right. And so um, at that point, we had, <laughs> we made the, it was, we thought it was a nice gesture, but it was a mistake really looking back, but it was really cool how God used it. But we put our name and our email address in the bulletin. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, hey, if you guys need any help, let us know. And we had 160 people reach out to us. And so we went from never talking about it to Trish was going out to lunch, dinner, coffee. I'll never forget. She got home at like 1230 one night. She spent like three hours with one lady. And it was like now we're reliving it over and over mm. and over again. And I, I called a friend of mine in Nashville who was a pastor at the time. And I said, hey, I don't know what to do. We have all of this emotional baggage that we're carrying around of all these other people that need our help and we don't know how to help them. And he's like, you should start a blog. And I'm like, what is that? You know, I had no idea what that was. And we weren't on Facebook or Twitter and um, we wanted to be hidden, not known. And, and so he explained it to us. And so we started this blog in February of 2009 called refineus.org. And we did a blog series called eight things that destroyed our marriage. Mm. And it just really resonated with people and wow. it just kind of, kind of took off from there. And so that's how we began kind of leveraging the story that God had, you know, had placed in our life to help other people. Wow. Those eight things, is that, is that some of the stuff that you put in this book or what's um, the... Kind of. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there's 12 chapters, there are 12 principles in the book. Um, it is, it is our, the, the book is organized... Um, the, the affair doesn't come in until chapter nine. So it's not a story. It's not a book about an affair. It's right. really a book about how everybody gets married with this vision for an extraordinary marriage and how most of us drift into ordinary mm. and how to find your way back. Mm. And so the mistakes are kind of woven together, but they're not in the same format. And, and, um, wow. but yeah, it's, it, it is, um, it, it's just a really looking back on it. We could not have orchestrated or or planned. Um, if we had planned it, we'd have messed it up. You know, yeah, it was just God yeah. using something that was intended for harm. Wow. You know, for good. Well, we probably don't have time for all those mistakes, but <laughs> I'd love to hear a couple of them. Like a couple of the things that you guys wrote, or that you tell people, like, hey, here's a couple big identifiers that we recognize were mistakes as we were. Well, I think I did not realize that I struggled with forgiveness long before the affair. And when Justin and I were married, again, I lived in that 
just love God, just love my husband, life will go up and to the right. And about four months into our marriage, we found out I was pregnant with our oldest son. So within a year, we had moved from college, moved into ministry, got married, and then Micah came five days after our first year anniversary. So just like a lot of change. And uh, what also changed in that next year is that my parents divorced after 25 years of marriage. Wow. And so my dad had, I don't think he even to this day realizes how much he was my world and what I thought about him. Um, His, you know, father left him very young to go back to Mexico and he pretty much grew up fatherless until his mom remarried and he didn't have an education past eighth grade. Mm. And as a 20 year old, I, I, I couldn't see his wounds for yeah. what they were. I, I couldn't have empathy for him. I just saw him as my dad. And so when mm. he um, was kind of, you know, living a life I didn't know about and then my parents divorced, there was something that it unlocked in me that I became guarded. Uh-huh. And so I began treating Justin, if my dad is going to cheat on my mom, Justin probably will too. Mm. And I never really said that in my heart and mind. But looking back on it, that's how, so I treated Justin as if he had already had the affair. At the same time, I truly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Like God's word says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, yeah. but of sound mind. So that's the difference between a Holy Spirit prompting and what is fear. Right. And all throughout our marriage, that prompting when he was struggling with pornography, that, that was real mm. and tangible. And there were times where we would have conversations, but it would be dismissed. So I, I lived in this, this kind of posture of unforgiveness and then this feeling of always feeling crazy. Yeah. And mm. bitterness is like, it, it's like a cancer. You, you kind of think that you can just be bitter towards one person or one part of a person, but it, it always bleeds out into right. other areas of life. And so that moment of hitting rock bottom for me and going to counseling, I could have told Justin, you know what, you go get fixed because you're the one who jacked up our marriage and then we can have a marriage or we can both become broken. Mm. And when I began to say, okay, Justin's revealing truths about his heart, what are my truths? And mm. I, and I, what I realized is that I needed to learn how to forgive. And so in the book, you know, we talk about that that process that God has given us the gift of our emotions, not yeah. for us to be just emotional people, but to find healing. Yeah, that's so good. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable that even in the midst of, because very easily you could have said what you just said, Justin, you ruined our marriage. Come back when you've got your stuff figured out. Mm-hmm. But the fact that even in those moments you go, okay, what, where is there some responsibility that I need to look at introspectively as well? Um, what, where do I need to be broken as well in this? Where do, where is God inviting me in this space to find wholeness and healing, um, almost separate from the whole situation, but just in and of myself? Exactly. That is powerful. Well, I say all the time, people think that the greatest gift, Trisha gave me was forgiveness. And that's tr- that's partially true. The greatest gift that she gave me was her willingness to be broken with me. Wow. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we tell a couple of time, you can overcome anything if two people are broken before God. <sighs> if only one person is, it's a really hard, it's really hard, yeah. you know, but if two people are willing to do whatever it takes, and that's what brokenness is, is right. willingness to just do whatever it takes. Right. Um, then... <sighs> 
anything is possible. You yeah. know, as and far I think as people goes. struggle with forgiveness because there's this feeling like if I forgive, it's they're getting away with something. Yeah. And once I realized that forgiveness doesn't excuse the behavior, it doesn't excuse the pain that was um, put on you, mm-hmm. it prevents that very thing from destroying your heart. Yeah. You know, forgiveness becomes this healing bomb. And the lesson that I had to learn and really kind of in the past couple of years, my relationship with my best friend has not been restored. And so I probably like three years ago, there was kind of a an issue that came out with the Ashley Madison list mm. that there were pastors on it and it was really bad. And so CNN reached out to me to do a live on-air interview about forgiveness. And now it was like at two o'clock in the afternoon. So I see people just like in the nursing home saw it, but (laughs) one person that saw it was my best friend who I had not heard from in 10 years. Wow. And so she um, reached out to me via letter and it was the first time that I had heard from her. And I tell people all the time, it was like the best apology someone who's not broken could write. And I really believed that forgiveness, again, going back to like the 90s, Trisha, that, you know, you love God, love people, restoration, restoration. But I had to come to grips with that forgiveness does not always heal or restore relationships, Mm. but it will always heal my heart. That's so good. And so it's this daily choice to lean in and to choose forgiveness. I think that's why Jesus said 70 times seven, because it is sometimes a daily process. Wow. Wow. I think for me, the you know, one of the biggest mistakes is you know realizing that nobody nobody says, "Hey, when I grow up, I want to be a liar," right? Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, God has created us for intimacy, and the word intimacy means to be fully known. Yeah, and He has created us to experience being fully known by Him, and if you're married, to be fully known by your spouse. Yeah. The problem is we place a pain quotient on every relationship that we have, and we think that's as much pain as that person can handle. And so this is as much truth as I'm going to give them. Mm. But you can only be loved to the extent that you're known. And so realizing that every time we compromise truth in a relationship, we place a lid or a cap on the amount of intimacy that we're capable of experiencing. And we do that with God. And then we wonder why our relationship with God is so distant. It's because we've compartmentalized our life and we've said, okay, God, you can have this part of my life, but don't touch my dating life. Or you can have this part of my life, but don't touch my sex life. Or you can have this part of my life, but don't make me forgive my dad. You can have this part of my life and I'll go to church and I'll tithe, but don't, you know, don't challenge what I look at on the internet. Right, right. And anytime we do that, we create distance. Mm. And we oftentimes withhold truth in a relationship thinking that, we're protecting that person, but we're really just eroding intimacy a little at a time. And so being fully known and being fully loved is the best place to be. And that's the thing I love about Jesus is he knows us fully and he loves us anyway. And that's grace. And so I, I feel like for, for me personally, and really how this has began to affect our kids and it affects now affects our church. Like, We've had people tell us, hey, your church is a little too authentic for me. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, it's, it's not sanitized, it's not clean. But there's there's no other I'm I, I refuse to 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 hide. Right. You know, and you you can't just hide a little. And one of the things we say to our boys all the time is nothing good grows in darkness. Yeah. You know, and, and so being willing to be honest and being willing to be truthful, um, 
has allowed us to develop intim- a level of intimacy with Christ and a level of intimacy in our family mm. um, that I wouldn't trade in for anything. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and um, Jesus said the truth will set you free. What He conveniently left out is it will make you miserable first. Yeah, <laughs> but short term misery for long term freedom is always a trade that's worth so making. That's so good. Ooh, so. wow, that's so good, Justin. One more thing. I know we're running short on time, but the you you mentioned something earlier about you know you guys got all these phone calls or especially the one person that said oh you're having an affair you should talk to Justin hmm. how do you keep yourself from feeling like you're defined by this cuz obviously this is a marker right yeah and and even um you and I haven't really had conversations about this but i imagine you know for for me i'm like i don't want to be known for the rest of my life as the guy whose wife was murdered although we're doing a lot of ministry out of it. Yeah. You guys have done a lot of ministry out of this particular instance, this journey in your mm-hmm. story. It's not all that you have to offer. It's not all that who you right. are, it, but mm-hmm. it, it has made up so much of who you are. Yeah. So how do you reconcile those two things? Well, I mean, that's, that's a real-time question. You know, yeah. it's, it's something that I, I'm still discovering, I think, mm-hmm. if I'm really being honest. You know, we're almost three years into Hope City, and one of the things that I'm wrest- that I've been wrestling with is, I've over this is like I'm giving you like over the last two weeks. That's okay? great. So this is this, this is, is per- this is what the Nothing Is Wasted <laughs> podcast is for right here. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always I've always taken very seriously and tried to. Um, I can never make up right. Like grace doesn't cause, call you to make up, but I yeah. want to be responsible and I want to be accountable. Mm for the pain and the disappointment and the hurt that I brought to so many people when I had the affair and left. What I have not taken into account really over the last 14 years is the pain that I experienced in that process Mm. of leaving a church abruptly. Now, it was because of my sin. It wasn't because, I mean, they fired me because I resigned and they accepted my resignation because they should have. But I was wounded in that process and I did lose something in that process. And I never felt permission, not because of anybody else, but just because of how the whole thing played out to actually admit that. Mm. And so I'm working through that right now in, in, the, in, in kind of my own leadership and my own and how I lead uh, Hope City and how it's been affected by the loss of, of our first uh, church plant. And so I'm, I'm really wrestling with that. And one of the things that we say all the time is this is a, this is a part of our story, but it's 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 not, it's a chapter, mm. right? It's not the yeah. whole story. And we got to a place and, and you may get there, you may never get there. Um, I think God, you know, whatever God's call is on your life, you're going to discover it as you, as you grow your ministry as well. But we were speaking at some of the largest churches in the country and mm-hmm. we were at a church of, you know, 18,000 people in Chicago. And the pastor came up to me as we were packing up our book table and we just sold more books than we'd ever sold at any event. And we sold out. It was amazing. And he's like, so I guess you're on the next one, huh? Mm. And, you know, I was on staff at a church of 8,000 at the time. Um, I was a teaching pastor there. We were making more money in ministry than we'd ever made. We were selling books. We were getting invited to speak at all these large churches. And we get on the plane to fly back to Nashville, and I just broke down and crying and started mm. crying. She's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, we're not leading anything. We're not pastoring anyone. Um, I'm going and telling, I'm the affair guy. Mm. And I'm going and telling the same story over and over and over again. We don't get to see marriages change. Mm. We get emails, 
but we, we don't get to walk with anybody. And that really sent me, this was in 2014, and that really sent me into a little, not a little, it sent me into a depression. Mm. And I, Trish, about six weeks after that, Trish was like, you're messed up. You got to go to counseling. <laughs> and so I, I started, think I said it that way. <laughs> uh, kind of. But um, that was the gist of it. And, and so I started going to counseling and, and my counselor's like, why, why are you here? And I'm like, I just want to try to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. You know, mm. I'm 40 years old. And, and, and from the outside looking in, I had everything that pastors aspire to have. Right. Right. Large social media following. We were on all these radio and TV programs. Everyone wants to write a book, and and I'm wanting to go and start all over, yeah, with the local church. But it was just, it was a way for me to to frame this part of of our story is we want to help as many marriages as possible. There's no doubt about that, and we want we have a passion to use our story to glorify Christ because you know it's the power of your testimony that that you know it's the blood of the Lamb and the the power of your testimony. So I get that, but. At the end of the day, we feel called to the local church mm-hmm. and building up pastors and leaders and and helping the local church thrive. And so it's been a journey yeah. to... I'll never forget a buddy of mine, we were talking on the phone, and it was not about his marriage at all. And he had, he had a pretty large social media following at that time. And he puts on Twitter, what an amazing friend I have in Justin Davis... I love every moment I get on the phone with him. He had nine people text him to ask him if his marriage was okay. And so he shows wow. me that all of his notifications. He texts me a picture of his notifications. He's like, I guess I can't put <laughs> our phone conversations on Twitter anymore. And it was wow. just this realization that people are going to label you how yeah. they want to label you, mm. but God doesn't do that. Yeah. Right? And, and God is going to use your story and Amanda's story probably between now and the time that you go to heaven, right? Because mm-hmm. that's that's his story. Yeah, exactly. But it, it while while it um, it it does it is a part of you. It doesn't have to define you. Yeah, I think you know? that, like if I if I could say one thing to your your audience, I would say that Jesus is about the power of and. Mm. It does not have to be either or. You don't have to be a church planner or an author. You don't have to be um, the the widow of a you know. Right. heart-wrenching story or just the survivor of an affair it's it's and and that's, that's where ministry in in living life abundantly mm. becomes about because you don't have to live in the past but you can definitely um, carry the truth of how Jesus carried you out of it into yeah. the future and so it does, it's not either or it's and and yeah, I pray that it'll good. be and until it's finished yeah. when we're in heaven that's so great but it was oh. it was weird when we decided to start the start the church you know we started telling people we had to tell our literary agent we had to tell our we had a booking agent we had to, we were on a tour with uh, a radio station we had we had all these people now that were making money off of us and we had several conversations with people who loved us dearly going, you're ruining your career. Wow. Moving to you're moving out of Nashville. People are moving to Nashville. Yeah. You know, you're, you're giving up everything. And we, we didn't, we don't see it that way. And mm. we've, I mean, we're booked all the way through the fall. I mean, it's not when God's in control and that's God right. has your calling secure. That's right. You don't have to worry about the labels that other people may give oh, you. That's so great. Well, guys, I so appreciate you sharing your story and entering back into that space again. Also, just you know, holding that power of and 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 loosely in your hands and letting our audience glean from 
your experience. So thank our, you. Our, our privilege. Yeah, thank you so much for, we're going to put everything up on this uh, podcast episode page, all the resources where people can follow you. Um, but man, just, this is an honor to be able to sit and talk to you about this. Oh, thanks, Davey. Thank you. Before we take some time and commentate ourselves on Justin and Trisha's interview, let's hear from Julie Dodson, one of our resident counselors, on her perspective from this story. Justin mentioned that he and Trisha became really good ministry partners and not good marriage partners. This is so important. Relationships seem to either be growing or deteriorating. There seems to really be no such thing as homeostasis or just treading water when it comes to relationships. In fact, in marriage, it can be quite easy to become distracted by many other responsibilities pulling at our attention, especially once we have children. So it becomes all the more critically important to treat our marriages with as much intentional nurturing attention as we do our children or careers. It is sadly common for spouses to look at each other after 20 plus years of marriage, once all the children are grown and out of the home, only to sadly realize they no no longer really know each other, let alone have anything in common. One of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself, your spouse, and your children is to intentionally, heavily invest in the health of your marriage. Don't leave anything to chance. It is definitely not safe to assume that because there is no apparent serious concern, you can just coast and maintain a healthy marriage. Families are often only as healthy as the marriage. So it is to the benefit of your entire family to prioritize time to serve the needs and health of that relationship. It is very understandable to have questions and concerns upon discovery of any meaningful betrayal of trust in your marriage. One of the primary difficulties in reconciling a marriage in which there's been such a breach of faith is that each spouse's needs are almost diametrically opposed to the other, while both being understandable and reasonable. For instance, initially, and often for quite some time, the betrayed spouse needs to talk a lot about the issue, ask many questions, and express intense feelings. While the other spouse wishes to be trusted and not constantly reminded of his or her failure. So it can be easy to understand why those initial weeks and months after discovery can be very stressful on the marriage, even when both spouses genuinely wish to save it. I've mentioned weekly staff marriage meetings before. These can be necessary when a couple is working through recovery from infidelity or any other meaningful crisis in their marriage, and they're just a wonderful tool for strengthening any committed relationship. The purpose of these is multifaceted. First, they provide a consistent, safe, prioritized venue in which you're able to discuss anything that's come up since your last meeting. This helps ensure that important issues will be effectively discussed, processed, and resolved in a timely manner. This helps ensure that no potential issue goes unaddressed in your marriage for longer than one week. And second, because you both know that you have the staff meeting time set aside, it makes it easier for you each to hold negative comments or questions until that time, which means the vast majority of your time together can be more positive, encouraging, and harmonious. All marriages require greater positive time than difficult work time. So it provides the structure for a win-win situation between the two of you. All necessary issues get addressed, 
while you both do not have to worry about what the other may bring up the rest of the time. I will note that while it may be important for you to be open about all of the questions you have and the haunting thoughts you cannot avoid, there are definitely questions I do not advise you actually receive answers to. Once you have word pictures, you cannot get rid of them. So while most spouses have many questions about the physical aspects of an affair and perhaps about other experiences, please be sure you really want those answers. It is often far better for you to only let your spouse know the extent to which such thoughts continue to haunt you without expecting actual answers. This is a great place for some wise counsel to speak into your situation. And isn't it also the case that infidelity is often a symptom of other underlying issues? This reminds us of how important it is for us to have guards in place to periodically evaluate ourselves to ensure we are aware of and then appropriately addressing issues along the way, which could be another reason for those weekly marriage staff meetings. You know, marriage is our best opportunity to literally be the hands and feet of Jesus to another person and to learn to love sacrificially. What a beautiful choice Trisha made to become broken along with her husband, joining him as a partner in their recovery rather than as on the opposite side from him. This is another really powerful concept in healthy marriages. We're all human, so we automatically have our own internal perspective. We have to choose to step outside ourselves intentionally to consider something from the other person's perspective. We have to be willing to consider another person's needs as higher than our own and choose to serve the best interests of our marriage rather than ourselves at times. Justin and Trisha's story is one which illustrates that it is not love that keeps marriages together. It is commitment. There will be times in virtually all marriages where the warm, fuzzy feelings of love, care, and attraction, and maybe even hope, have waned. There may be times when throwing in the towel seems easier than sticking it out, but it is in the remaining, in the doing the hard work of confession, repentance, understanding, recovery, and reconciliation, in which we have the opportunity to love another person as Jesus loves us. That's great, Julie. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Um, That was a great interview, Justin and Tricia. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and um, just providing so much hope from your story Mm -hmm. to our listeners. Um, We want to thank Ryan at Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thank you, Ryan. We love everything that you put out and um, appreciate all that you do for us. And next week is our last episode um, of the Sexual Betrayal series. You're not going to want to miss it. Here is a clip from next week's episode with Kristen and Michael. When I got married, um, there's a couple of things that that I I didn't realize when I was looking at porn all of those years that I was pr- I was programming myself. Uh, the first is I had this idea that my wife, like the women in porn, would be ready and willing to have sex mm. at any time <laughs> because that's the way porn works. Right. You just pull up your computer, or your smartphone, or whatever it is, right. anywhere and anywhere and mm. at any time, uh, it's it is there for you. And the other, the picture of sex that I planted in my brain was not that of one person in a committed married Mm. relationship, but it was random sex with people that I didn't even know. 
Yeah. So this, uh, just looking at this over and over and over again, you know, I thought, well, this is not really going to harm me, but I, and, and I didn't realize mm. this. So I was in a fair waiting to happen. 